you guys feel like I'm ignoring you when I'm preaching? Just yes. out of care, do you? Okay. We're going to fix that today. I have specifically you all in mind for my sermon. So we are uh, supposed to be working our way through a series on the church called The Dwelling Place of God. And uh, we've done what is the church, we've done what is a member, and today should have been what is a pastor or an elder. And, you know, that's a sermon that I I can preach, or a lesson that I can teach, probably, without much preparation. Um, So I was kind of looking forward to this one, because it was a busy week, and I was ready to phone in a sermon. Um, But Friday... As I was thinking about what we all needed to hear today, I thought about the psalm that we read last Sunday, and it it felt like the Lord was leading me to preach that instead. Um, So I'm not dodging preaching the sermon on what it is that I'm supposed to be doing on Sunday, but I I really do think that uh, this may be a little bit more useful to some of you today than, than that sermon would have been. So... Psalm 61 is where we're going to be. And next week we'll outline all the reasons I'm not qualified to be a pastor. (laughs) Psalm 61 says, Hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. From the end of the earth I call to you when my heart is faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For you have been my refuge a strong tower against the enemy. Let me dwell in your tent forever. Let me take refuge under the shelter of your wings. And then if if you have a decent Bible, it says, Selah, which just means pause. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to pause. That's probably all the farther we'll go today. Um, So consider the tone of the psalm so far. And the fact that it, it seems to be directed from a heart that's troubled. Can we agree on that? It's coming from a place where the writer is troubled. Now look at the very top. If, again, if you've got a good Bible, you'll see it says, To the choir master with stringed instruments. And that this is a psalm of David. That's not added by interpreters. That's in the original text. Right to the choir master for stringed instruments, and it's a song of David. So David wrote this song, psalm, while he had a troubled heart, and the tone of it is not particularly upbeat, right? It's kind of desperate sounding so far. The first point of application that I have to make as I unfold my arms and stop appearing defensive, <laughs> first point of application that I have to make is and this would have escaped probably all of our notice if I hadn't said something, and it would have escaped mine if a better preacher than me hadn't said something years and years and years ago that I heard. When the psalm says it's for the choir master, that means it's supposed to be sung, right? And I think a lot of times when our, our hearts are troubled, the way David's heart is clearly troubled, the last thing we think we should be doing is praising God and singing songs. 
But really, it might be the very first thing we should be doing. So when your heart's breaking and you don't understand what's going on or why it's going on, I want you to remember that this psalm is meant to be sung, and that tells us that we should sing when our hearts are overwhelmed with sorrow. God is still worthy of our praise, and it's not just to like, oh, that's right, yep, God's still worthy, I better sing. It's a, it'll change your heart type of thing. Like If you can do this, if you can just praise him in the midst of sorrow, you'll find that it changes your own outlook and your own kind of disposition. So stop moping and start singing praises to God. And it doesn't have to be, you know, positive, upbeat music. Maybe you need to sing a funeral song to him, but sing to him. Pour your heart out to him. Worship him. He's worthy. So then verse 1 goes on. Hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. Um, I hope we've been together long enough that we can be honest with one another. Because I'm going to ask you all to be honest with me. Okay? Don't look around, but just nod. If, if you're in the back, you're going to get the whole picture. But if you're in the front, you won't know. <clears throat> Have you ever thought that as you're praying, God has really good reason not to listen? Have you ever felt like as you're praying, God's not listening? Have you ever felt like months into praying about something, God's just obviously not hearing it? Yeah, most of us have felt that way. And then we have our reasons, right? If you're, if you're like me and you work in systems and you're always trying to mentally organize things and why they're going on and why the way they are, they are the way they are, then you'll, you'll have kind of a running list of things that you check off, right? So I'm praying, doesn't feel like God is hearing me, or my life certainly doesn't look like God is hearing me. There must be a reason why, and so I've got kind of my list of reasons why. Reason number one, why God isn't listening to me when I'm praying, is because my prayers are far too infrequent. So God's like, oh, haven't heard from you in a while, we're going to let you languish for a minute in your trouble and sorrow. Reason number two that I'm praying and it feels like God isn't hearing my prayers is my prayers are too whiny. Because we all got taught once that, you know, a real prayer starts with praise, right? But most, most of my prayers, when I'm in a Psalm 61 kind of mood, do not start with praise. They start with, ugh, hurt and exasperation. And so I think God's not listening to me because I'm whining too much. Or the third reason that God isn't listening to my prayers is because they are filled with too much evil. Like what I want must be evil. That's just me. I'm sure none of you have ever thought that or felt that way. Have there been times in the past when it seemed like God did not hear your prayers because as you looked at the landscape of your life, what you saw was crushed dreams, broken hearts. You're still sick, even though you've asked him to make you better. Money is tight. There's constant work trouble. Your spouse is sick of you. You have mental health problems. You're stuck in some sin. Never felt like that? God's not answering my prayers because this list of circumstances is not changing. I'm not better. The situation hasn't improved. So let's talk about David's situation. Odds are this psalm was written when he fled from Absalom. We don't know that for sure, but I tend to believe it, that 
Oh, maybe some of you don't know that situation. So let, let, me, let me enlighten you. We'll share a little. We'll do a little history lesson. So David comes into power in 2 Samuel. He becomes the king after the death of Saul. And one of the first things that we see David doing once everything's been established and he like, you know, has a palace that he hangs out in. One of the first things we see him do is go out on his roof and start checking out the neighborhood. Right. And he sees another man's wife and he thinks I should enjoy that. And so while this other man is off at war, he brings this man's wife in. He does that stuff that you're not supposed to do. And then she gets pregnant and then David gets uh, concerned that he's going to get busted. So he has her husband come back from war, which is where David probably should have been, has her husband come back from war and tries to get him to do that thing so that everybody will think, oh, this was Uriah, not somebody else with Bathsheba. And it doesn't work because Uriah is concentrating and fixated on the war that he's supposed to be waging right now. And so David ultimately sends Uriah back to the battlefront with his own death warrant signed because he gives him a note to Joab, the commander, and says, hey, put this dude on the front lines. I want him gone. So Uriah dies because ultimately when you chase it upstream, David murdered him, right? So then in 2 Samuel chapter 12, there's this amazing confrontation between David and Nathan the prophet where David kind of thinks he's gotten away with it. In fact, it seems like he's forgotten entirely that he sinned because Nathan comes and tells him a story that like allegorically relates and correlates really well with what David has done. And David's response is to get furious at the person in this made up story instead of recognizing, oh, this is about me. And so finally, Nathan says, the story I'm telling you, David, it's about you. And David melts. And he says in verse 11, or actually it's back up in verse 9, he says, I have sinned. In verse 11, Nathan says, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house. This is the Lord pronouncing judgment or discipline on David for his transgression. He says, I'm going to do some stuff with your wives. Verse 12, he says, You did this thing with Uriah and Bathsheba secretly, but I'm going to discipline you publicly before all Israel and before the Son. 13, David confesses, I've sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord has put away your sin. You shall not die. Nevertheless, because by this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord, the child who is born to you shall die. And then Nathan went to his house. So the first part of the judgment that Nathan pronounces, that the Lord pronounces against David is, evil is going to rise up from your own household. Okay. Fast forward a little bit, the baby dies. So the outcome of David's transgression with Bathsheba is the death of their child. Is that heartbreaking? Yeah. Fast forward a little bit longer, David's got a son named Amnon. And he has a daughter named Tamar, or Tamar. Amnon violates Tamar, and David doesn't really do anything about it. So he's got another son named Absalom, who sees what went on with Amnon and Tamar, sees and kind of judges his dad for not doing anything about it, 
despises his father for not doing anything about it, takes matters into his own hands, kills Amnon, and is gaining popularity in Israel because he's got great hair and he's very handsome. And he did something where there was injustice, where David had failed. And David begins to lose the security of the throne. One thing leads to another. Absalom claims the throne and David ends up running for his life. And then we get to where I think David writes Psalm 61. Now, let's all be just, again, an honest moment with each other. Okay, How often... Are your circumstances your own stupid fault? Most of the time, right? Unless you're one of those people that's just put upon by life and it's never your fault. Most of the time it's us. So here's David. Dreams are crushed. His heart is broken. He's still sick. Money is tight. He's got trouble at work. His kids are getting wild. His spouse is probably sick of him. He's definitely got mental health problems. And he has definitely been stuck in some sin. Right? So can I just say, for the record, you're not making history. You're not. And if you sit here this morning and you're like, woe is me. It's my own fault. My life's a wreck. Why should God love me? You're not making history. So he says, hear my cry, O God, listen to my prayer. You want to know the first way you know the difference between whether you want to solve the problem or just wallow in it? Listen to me. Look right at me. You praying about it? Or are you just sitting in your sorrow Feeling bad for yourself. Why would God listen to me? Well, David asks him to. David says, hear my cry, please, Lord. Hear my prayer. Ask God to hear you. From the end of the earth, I call to you when my heart is overwhelmed. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Sometimes it seems like God is far away, right? Does it seem like it right now? Because he's not, you don't, you don't see him. There's a, uh, I'll never forget this. Lisa and I were driving to California from Nebraska to go to a pastor's conference, which just does not seem like the likely place to have a pastor's conference, but that's what was going on. And as we're driving through that high desert in Utah, there was this stretch of road, and it seemed like it went on for hours, but it probably didn't, where it was, it was literally just road, and it was beautiful countryside, right? It's desert. There, it was the first time in my life I for sure remember not seeing any power lines. There was nothing. And you look down at your cell phone, which is your GPS at this point, and it's got the little GPS triangle, but there's nothing there because you have no service and you're not going to have service for a while. You're just out there like on your own. And I kept having this thought over and over and over again, please car, don't break down. Because if it breaks down out here, I've seen enough movies to know what happens next, right? <laughs> you're not gonna get rescued, you're gonna get disappeared. Uh, 
And I was reminded of scriptures like this. Proverbs 15, 3. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. Jeremiah 23, 24. Can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord. Can a man hide himself in a secret place so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord. Do I not fill heaven and earth? And then Psalm 139, everybody knows this. Where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in the grave, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand will hold me. If I say, surely the darkness will overcome me and the light about me will be as night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day for darkness is as light to you. So driving through the high desert of Utah, I just had to console myself that if the car broke down, Jesus would still be there with us. No AAA, no gas stations, no power. And, and now that's, a, that's a, what would you, a physical example of what we're talking about. Let's think about the kind of the more mental, spiritual example of what you're talking about. Sometimes you feel like you're at the end of the earth when it comes to companions or you feel like you're at the end of the earth when it comes to like whatever you're struggling with isolates you somehow from everybody else. Like there's not really anybody who gets what you're going through, who completely can identify with what you're going through. And maybe there's nobody that can really help with what you're going through. Where you just feel like I'm off here on my own with nobody that really gets me. Aren't you glad? That when everything that is familiar and comforting and, and everything that would produce a little bit of solace and joy in your life, when all of that is gone, aren't you glad that from the end of the earth you can cry out to your Father in heaven and He hears you? You can't change that. He's everywhere all the time and He knows everything. Aren't you glad that even when your heart is overwhelmed, even when your bad circumstances are your own stupid fault and you knew better, aren't you glad that even when you made the mess you are in and the bank can't help and your boss can't help and your spouse won't help and your friends can't help, the doctors can't help, money won't fix it, talking doesn't make it better, There doesn't seem to be any light. There doesn't seem to be any joy left. Aren't you glad that even when everything is darkness and you're being swallowed up in despair, even when the person you love the most is dying, even when some people you thought you could trust don't seem to be trustworthy anymore, even when all hope is being snuffed out, even when your heart, listen to me, is being overwhelmed, You know what that's like? The thoughts are coming faster than you can even acknowledge them. Your fears are just piling up. You can't make sense of anything. What you thought would work doesn't work. And you're out of ideas because everything you try just keeps on making it worse. The Holy Spirit said to David, hey man, write this down. From the end of the earth, I call to you when my heart is overwhelmed. Lead me to the rock that's higher than I am. Aren't you glad God said, hey, David, right now, 
while you're running from your own handsome kid, write this down. Lead me to the rock that's higher than I am. Because God wants you to know that even in the darkest circumstance you might find yourself in, he is for you and he loves you. And his grace hasn't run out. I think the other reason that this is here is because we need to know that there is someone higher, right? Higher than your spouse, higher than the bank, higher than your doctor, higher than your boss, higher than Congress, higher than the Senate, higher than the Supreme Court, higher than Joe Biden, praise Jesus, better than your friends, better than your pastor, better than your counselor, better than your parents, better than your grandparents. There's someone better than you, Higher than you? Can you make a mess so big your mom and dad can't clean it up? Oh, yeah. You get to be about 20, 21, 22, and you do it. You make that mess. And you're like, oh, Jesus. Don't let mom and dad find out because they can't help and they might stop loving me. Well, okay, I guess that was just me. (laughs) in those moments you need to be led to the rock that's higher than you are you need to be led to the stone that the builder has rejected you need to be led to the cornerstone back in psalm 61 verse 3 you have been my refuge a strong tower against the enemy. Let me dwell in your tent forever. Let me take refuge under the shelter of your wings. Selah. You need a refuge? You need, we have a president. Listen to me. This isn't political. We have a president who a lot of people are saying soiled himself in front of the Pope yesterday or the day before. I don't know if that's true or not, but I've watched the man speak, and it doesn't inspire a lot of confidence that he has control of all of his bodily functions. We live in a country where up is down and down is up and what's wrong is right. Like, we are celebrating the fact that we're not sure how many genders there are anymore. We live in a country where it's wrong. It is morally wrong to say that man was made for woman and woman was made for man. And that's how it's supposed to work. Like the parts fit and we've made it morally wrong to say that. We live in a culture that would rather stay home for a year out of fear then live life with all of the corresponding risks that come with it. This is not political. I'm not judging any of this. I'm just stating this is what I see going on. We live in a day and age where you can get fired for sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ at work, but they will not get fired for telling you what you believe is stupid. Facts. I'm living it right now. I get to say that. Everything is backwards. Everything is upside down. And man, come Friday afternoon, you want to know what I need? I need a refuge. I need a hiding place. I need to know that I've got shelter, that there's a strong tower and a mighty fortress. So look at Nahum chapter 1. I'm going to give you 15 minutes to find it. (laughs) 
So we're in the Minor Prophets. It's almost the New Testament. If you see Habakkuk, you went too far. If you see Malachi, you definitely went too far. If you see Matthew, go left. Nahum chapter 1. Or go to your table of contents. Nahum 1, we're going to pick it up in verse 3, and I'm, I'm going to ask a big favor of you, okay? Some of you were like, I don't believe this is a book in the Bible. <laughs> like, he's making this up. <clears throat> as, as I read this, would you just do your best to follow along the whole time? Because this passage crescendos and makes the point that I'm trying to make for me. All right, so follow along. Verse 3. Nahum 1, the Lord is, what's that say? Slow Slow to anger and great in power. The Lord will by no means clear the guilty. His way is in whirlwind and storm, and the clouds are the dust of his feet. He rebukes the sea and makes it dry. He dries up all the rivers. Bashan and Carmel wither. The bloom of Lebanon withers. The mountains quake before him. The hills melt. The earth heaves before him. The world and all who dwell in it. Who can stand before his indignation? Who can endure the heat of his anger? His wrath is poured out like fire and the rocks are broken into pieces by him. That's the Lord of all the universe, okay? So when you look around at the circumstances, all the cultural things that I just described, let's remember this is God. When God shows up, mountains tremble and the seas shake and separate and dry up. That's who we're talking about when we say, lead me to the rock that's higher than I am. Now look at verse seven. This is my favorite verse in the whole Bible. The Lord is... What's that say? He's good. A stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knows those who take refuge in him. He doesn't hate those who take refuge in him. He doesn't despise those who take refuge in him. He knows those who take refuge in him. You want to know why that's in your Bible? Because when you're in times of trouble, it doesn't feel like anybody knows. It doesn't feel like anybody cares, but the God who makes the mountains tremble, that the hills melt before, knows you when you take refuge in him. Lead me to the rock that's higher than I am. Take your fear, your shame, your guilt over whatever's going on. Take your tired, sick, broken, scarred, overwhelmed heart and cry out to Jesus from the ends of the earth and be led to the rock that's higher than you are. Look at Matthew 21 and what this will be done. Matthew 21:42 Jesus said to them, Did you never read in the scriptures the stone which the builders rejected? This became the chief cornerstone. 
This came about from the Lord, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing the fruit of it. And listen, he who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, but on whomever it falls, it will scatter him like dust. If you fall on that rock, Jesus, if you fall on that rock, you will be broken to pieces. Your assumptions will be shattered. Your preconceived notions will be destroyed. Your heart will be crumbled. Your plans will be completely upended. Your life will be changed forever because your priorities will be rearranged. Your life will be completely different because you got broken to pieces. But it will be so good for you to fall on that rock. Or you can wait. You can wait until that rock falls on you. See, everybody's got an appointment with the rock. It's just a matter of whether it's in this life or right before the one to come. If that rock falls on you, you wait until judgment day, you wait till he comes back. That rock that's higher than you, your doctor, your banker, your family, your friends, the government, and all your problems, that rock will fall on you and scatter you like dust. And there will be no hope then. And there's going to be a whole bunch of people that know exactly what you're going through. They won't be able to help you. Fall on the rock. I believe that many of life's hurts and troubles are mercifully sent by God to lead us to the rock while the rock is still a refuge. So whatever you're going through, think about this. Maybe God is trying to get your attention so that you can bend a knee to King Jesus before it's too late. In just a minute, we're going to take Lord's Supper. So let me pray and we'll move into that. But I'd ask you to spend a little bit of time as I'm praying, thinking about the warning and the comfort that we've been offered here by the scriptures.